Eleven saintly shrouded men Silhouettes stand against the sky One in front with a cross held high Come to wash my sins away Good morning and Merry Christmas. It is six o'clock on a Christmas morning. Um, and here I am for the first time where I can get to say, or I'm working to be able to say, I know all about the honor of God, Mary Jane, and no one is going to get either of those references. Um, nonetheless, Merry Christmas. I'm wearing my Iron Maiden Christmas shirt this morning. It's even got holes in it, but you can't give it up. So, welcome to It's Lit with Mitch. Um, I read powerful literature out loud beginning to end, and throughout I pause to react and make commentary and think out loud. Um, I'm essentially always just trying to expand my knowledge base and understanding of topics with which I am not as familiar as I'd like to be. And currently, I'm reading the Holy Bible for the first time. And we're going to jump right in. A lot of people, uh, there's an intro episode, so if you've never watched this, the intro episode's pretty important. Um, but I am an atheist and have always been an atheist, but I am reading the Bible as an intellectual pursuit. Um, and there's a lot of good reasons for it, where I'm really trying my hardest to get everything good out of this that I can. And I've already, I'm already really interested. Like I, I've been told my whole life that it's a good book and we're only 14 pages in, but there's some good shit already. Uh, some good stuff already. And some of it's boring. The stuff about the families, I mean, that, that's just listing stuff. That, that, that's hard to get through, and I'm expecting there's a lot more of that. But the stories that I'm actually reading, there's some good stuff in them. Um, one of the things I want to talk about before I jump right into where we left off, which was book 16 of Genesis, is the Tower of Babel. Um, because I just, I'm thinking about this line, the Lord delivers, when the Lord says, uh, so they're constructing this tower about Babel, right? They're talking about ways to innovate and make this city incredible, make it great. And the Lord comes down to the city to, and the tower the people were building. And look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages, then they won't be able to understand each other. And in that way, the Lord scattered them all over the place and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. And this way he scattered them all over the world. That is, hi, good morning, Loki. Merry Christmas to you too. Uh, <laughs> That's one of those things that, like, I was expecting these things to happen while I was reading it that just hit me. And then they won't be able to understand each other hits me. It hit me immediately yesterday, if you were watching yesterday. 
um, because a failure to communicate is the root cause of the overwhelming vast majority of any problems humans face in, in their lives. And that's from their most basic relationships one-on-one, one-to-one, uh, a husband and a wife, spouse to spouse, friend to friend, mother to daughter, son to father, from those personal relationships to like massive domestic problems or even foreign relationship, foreign relations, uh, then they won't be able to understand each other is what I mean, that's that's the kind of line that I was expecting to find in here, because if I think about that and I'm just kind of thinking out loud here, a word that comes to mind is globalization, which we praise globalization. For the most part, everyone praises globalization. None of this is possible without globalization, right? Um, I can't have a platform where all seven of you can listen to me um, so easily uh, in different parts of the country or potentially thousands. I'm just kidding myself. Um, or more than that. Well, there are a lot of detractors of globalization. There are a lot of people who feel that globalization, like when I think of what the Tower of Babel could have been, I can see it linked to globalization. The fact that we have satellites, we have our towers, our communication towers that link to satellites above our planet, that's the Tower of Babel. And that development of all of that over the last two to 300 years was us reaching. I mean, after that, nothing we've set out to do has been impossible. Humans have been to the moon. We've completely connected the entire world and made it that much smaller. And in direct proportion to the, avail- uh, to the ability that we've been able to connect everybody so they can all communicate with one another, we've prospered. And there are some who think that there is a kind of a, that this prosperity is a double-edged sword. Yeah, good morning again. This prosperity could be kind of a double-edged sword because human, you know, eventually humans have built the so-called Tower of Babel. Um, and it's only, it's only taken time for us to do other very impossible things. Um, and we're able to communicate and yet in reaching for this like godliness, you know, to be like God or to compete with God in that sense, some might say we're walking a razor's edge above a doomsday pit. I mean, this seems to me to be one of the reasons why people would say the end is near. Can you just leave me be? Because the end could be near in that, like I can understand why someone would think the end is near because we keep reaching. And if I'm, if I'm being totally honest, I can see an argument. I don't necessarily believe this argument. I'm just, and subscribe to this argument. I'm just saying that it could happen. The kitty is insistent. But I can see an argument being made where where unhinged or unchecked technological progress, Loki, 
that unhinged and unchecked technological progress can bring us to a point that our society falls hard. We are losing, the Western society is losing a massive culture war. There is a tremendous, and I'm not going to get into all the reasons why I think this, but we are losing it. Uh, we are losing values that have made us strong, that have allowed us to prosper and, and connect the whole world. Um, because we're so connected with institutions and systems that drag us away from those. It makes our lives so much harder if we were to leave the things that connect us. So I can see the argument being made that we have a modern day Tower of Babel and that this globalization, I'm just calling it globalization. By the way, anything that I say on here as a reaction, I can be totally wrong on. And I'm certain other people have made similar points or made the same kind of point, but better um, or more concisely or more accurately. I'm thinking out loud here. Um, that's what it says to me initially. And I'm sure somebody who has studied these things and also studies history um, and also is, you know, somewhat of a futurist of themselves. I'm sure they have a much better way to put this. So. That said, we are just going to dive in to where we left off, which was book 16, the birth of Ishmael of Genesis. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar and the Egyptian servant, took Hagar the Egyptian servant and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. Maybe it's Hagar and not Hagar. Hagar makes me think Abram was sleeping with like Sammy Hagar. So when, <laughs> but when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The, Lord, the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angels also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are. <laughs> okay. Gosh. 
You are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. I didn't know that. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Sounds like a very good child. Therefore, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, You are the God who sees me. She also said, Have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named So that well was named Bir Lahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Abram is named Abraham. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. That's interesting. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. He's really... The Lord God keeps bribing people with children. And I don't know if that would work today because... I mean, like, keep them. Uh, I mean, some of you people who listen probably have children. I understand children are great. I like, I like kids. But, I mean, they really want to... I understand at the time, for most of human history even, not even necessarily. I mean, it still happens all over the world today. But descendants is to carry on your name. Um, and so I understand all of that. I'm just making a bad joke. You couldn't really bribe me by telling me how many descendants you're going to give me. <laughs> I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. That just sounds like work. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then, see, he's like, geez. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. All of this seems really important, so I'm just going to highlight it for later. Consumption. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner, to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. Yep, again, I need to look up. I gotta consult a map after today, so we're gonna talk about maps soon. The Mark of the Covenant. Then God said to Abraham, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. 
This is the covenant that you and your descendants must, must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. There it is. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of a covenant between me and you. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. This applies not only to members of your family, but also to the servants born in your household and the foreign-born servants whom you have purchased. All must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking this covenant. So God is like, God is like, cut only, no uncut. So, huh. I'm going to have more to say on that later. Sarai is named Sarah. Then God said to Abraham, regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed, to the, bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father? At the age of 100, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? I was just thinking these things. So Abraham said to God, May Ishmael live under your special blessing. But God replied, No, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. As for Ishmael... I will bless him also, just as you have asked. I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants. He will become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. When God had finished speaking, he left Abraham. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael, and every male in his household, including those born there and those he had bought. Then he circumcised them, cutting off their foreskins, just as God told him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised, and Ishmael, his son, was thirteen. Both Abraham and his son, Ishmael, were circumcised on that same day, along with all the other men and boys of the household, whether they were born there or bought as servants. All were circumcised with him. They just had a circumcision party that day. A son have I mean have have so many been circumcised on the same day at the same place since. Book eighteen. Are these books, by the way? Sixteen, seventeen, eighteen? Am I doing that right? A son is promised to Sarah. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, 
If it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said. Do as you have said. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, Hurry! Get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough, and bake some bread. Then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant, who quickly prepared it. When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat, and he served it to the men. As they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. Where is Sarah, your wife? the visitor said, asked. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, How could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such a pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, Can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, but the Lord said, No, you did laugh. <laughs> Abraham intercedes for Sodom. Then the men got up from their meal and looked out towards Sodom. As they left, Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Should I hide my plan for Abraham? the Lord asked. For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their family to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I am going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. The other men turned and headed towards Sodom. But the Lord remained with Abraham. Sometimes I have to check to make sure it's all still running. Sometimes it just quits recording. I once read a whole book. Not a whole book, but like one of these books. And it just stopped recording and I had to go back. Um... The other men turned and headed towards Sodom. That's all user, probably user malfunction, by the way. The other men turned and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? That... Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why would you be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same? Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? 
And the Lord replied, If I find fifty righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. Then Abraham spoke again. Since I have begun, let me speak further to my Lord, even though I am but dust and ashes. Suppose there are only 45 righteous people rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And the Lord said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people there. Then Abraham pressed his request further. Suppose there are only 40. The Lord replied, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 40. Please don't be angry, my Lord, Abraham pleaded. Let me speak. Suppose only 30 righteous people are found. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if I find 30. Then Abraham said, Since I have dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. Suppose there are only 20. And the Lord replied, Then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. Suppose only 10 are found there. And the Lord replied, Then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 10. When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way, and Abraham returned to his tent. That was really neat to see a negotiation with the Lord. Abraham literally negotiating with the Lord um, persuasively. And I'm making a note of that because that's something we're going to follow up on. Book 9. Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed. Ooh! Great. That evening, the two angels came to the entrance of the city of Sodom. Lot was standing there, and when he saw them, he stood up to meet them. Then he welcomed them and bowed with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, come to my home to wash your feet and be my guests for the night. You may then get up early in the morning and be on your way again. Oh no, they replied. We'll just spend the night out here in the city square. But Lot insisted. So at last they went home with him. Lot prepared a feast for them, complete with fresh bread made without yeast, and they ate. But before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, Where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring, bring them out to us! so we can have sex with them. So Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind them. Please, my brothers, he begged. Don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do with them as you wish. But please leave these men alone, for they are my guests and are under my protection. Stand back, they shouted. This fellow came to town as an outsider, and now he's acting like our judge. We'll treat you far worse than those other men. And they lunged toward Lot to break down the door. But the two angels reached out, pulled Lot into the house, and bolted the door. Then they blinded all the men, young and old, who were at the door of the house, 
so they gave up trying to get inside. Meanwhile, the angels questioned Lot. Do you have any other relatives here in the city? They asked. Get them out of this place. Your son-in-laws, your sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone else. For we are about to destroy this city completely. The outcry against this place is so great, it has reached the Lord, and he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés, Quick! Get out of the city! The Lord is about to destroy it! But the young men thought he was only joking. At dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Get out right now or you will, uh, or you will be swept away in the destruction of the city. When Lot still hesitated, the angels seized his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city, for the Lord was merciful. When they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, Run for your lives, and don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, or you will be swept away. Oh no, my lord, Lot begged. You have been so gracious to me and saved my life, and you have shown such great kindness. But I cannot go to the mountains. Disaster would catch me there, and I would soon die. See, there is a small village nearby. Please let me go there instead. Don't you see how small it is? Then my life will be saved. All right, the angel said. I will grant your request. I will not destroy the little village, but hurry. Escape to it, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. This explains why that village was known as Zoar, which means little place. That was in parentheses. Lot reached the village just as the sun was rising over the horizon. Then the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. That sounds like a bomb. He utterly destroyed them, along with the other cities and villages of the plain, wiping out all the people and every bit of vegetation. But Lot's wife looked back as she was falling behind him, and she turned into a pillar of salt. Abraham got up early that morning and hurried to the place where he had stood in the Lord's presence. He looked out across the plain toward Sodom and Gomorrah and watched as columns of smoke rose from the cities like smoke from a furnace. But God had listened to Abraham's request and kept Lot safe, safe, removing him from the disaster that engulfed the cities on the plain. That sounds like a bomb. Lot and his daughters. Afterward, Lot left Zor because he was afraid of the people there, and he went to live in a cave in the mountains with his two daughters. One day, the older daughter said to her sister, There are no men left anywhere in this entire area, so we can't get married like everyone else, and our father will soon be too old to have children. Come, let's get him drunk with wine, and then we will have sex with him. That way we will preserve our family line through our father. Mm. This lady is desperate. Drop my highlighter. 
So that night, they got drunk with wine. They got him drunk with wine. And the older daughter went in and had intercourse with her father. He was unaware of her lying down or getting up again. The next morning, the older daughter said to her younger sister, I had sex with our father last night. Let's get him drunk with wine again tonight, and you go in and have sex with him. That way we will preserve our family line through our father. So that night they got him drunk with wine again, and the younger daughter went in and had intercourse with him. As before, he was unaware of her lying down or getting up again. As a result, both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their own father. When the older daughter gave birth to a son, she named him Moab. He became the ancestor of the nation now known as the Moabites. When the younger daughter gave birth to a son, she named him Ben-Ami. He became the ancestor of the nation now known as the Ammonites. Abraham deceives Abimelech. Abraham moved south to the Negev and lived for a while between Kadesh and Shur, and then he moved on to Gerar. While living there as a foreigner, Abraham introduced his wife, Sarah, by saying, she is my sister. So King Abimelech of Gerar sent for Sarah and had her brought to him as his, at his palace. But that night God came to Abimelech in a dream and told him, you are a dead man, for that woman you have taken is already married. But Abimelech had not slept with her yet. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Didn't Abraham tell me she is my sister? And she herself said, yes, he is my brother. I acted in complete innocence. My hands are clean. In the dream, God responded, yes, I know you are innocent. That's why I kept you from sinning against me and why I did not let you touch her. Now return the woman to her husband and he will pray for you, for he is a prophet. Then you will live. But if you don't return her to him, you can be sure that you and all your people will die. Hmm. Again, as, as with Abraham talking about Sodom and negotiating down the number of people that, you know, how many righteous people would you destroy it, even if there's 45? Would you destroy it if there's 30 or 20 people? God seems really open to negotiating um, and otherwise to having his mind changed after he makes a declarative statement. Uh, and I didn't realize that God was so open to negotiating. Abimelech got up early the next morning and quickly called his servants together. When he told them what had happened, his men were terrified. Then Abimelech called for Abraham. What have you done to us? He demanded. What crime have I committed that deserves treatment like this, making me and my kingdom guilty of this great sin? No one should ever do what you have done. Whatever possessed you to do such a thing? Then Abraham replied, I thought, this is a godless place. They will want my wife and will kill me to get her. And she really is my sister, for we both have the same father, but different mothers, and I married her. When God called me to leave my father's home and do travel from place to place, I told her, do me a favor. Wherever we go, tell the people that I am your brother. Then Abimelech took some of his sheep and goats, cattle, 
and male and female servants, and he presented them to Abraham. He also returned his wife Sarah to him. Then Abimelech said, Look over my land and choose any place where you would like to live. And he said to Sarah, Look, I am giving your brother one thousand pieces of silver in the presence of all these witnesses. This is to compensate you for any wrong I may have done to you. This will settle any claim against me, and your reputation is cleared. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female servants, so they could have children. For the Lord had caused all the women to be infertile because of what happened with Abraham's wife, Sarah. The Birth of Isaac, Book 21 The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his, ripe, in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would, and Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. Hagar and Ishmael are sent away. When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham and her Egyptian servant Hagar, making fun of her son Isaac. So she turned to Abraham and demanded, Get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share the inheritance with my son Isaac. I won't have it. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, Do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you, for Isaac is a son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son, because he is your son too. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food and a container of water, and strapped them on Hagar's, Hagar's shoulders. Then, she, then he sent her away with their son, and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. Then she went and sat down by herself about a hundred yards away. I don't want to watch you die, boy. Watch the, bleh. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said as she burst into, burst into tears. But God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a full well of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness. He became a skillful archer, and he settled in the wilderness of Paran. His mother arranged for him to marry a woman from the land of Egypt. Abraham's Covenant with Abimelech About this time, Abimelech came with Phicol, his army commander, to visit Abraham. God is obviously with you, helping you in everything you do, Abimelech said. 
Swear to me in God's name that you will never deceive me, my children, or any of my descendants. I have been loyal to you, so now swear that you will be loyal to me and to this country where you are living as a foreigner. Abraham replied, Yes, I swear to it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well that Abimelech's servants had taken by force from Abraham's servants. This is the first I've heard of it, Abimelech answered. I have no idea who is responsible. You have never complained about this before. Abraham then gave some of his sheep, goats, and cattle to Abimelech, and they made a treaty. But Abraham also took seven additional female lambs and set them off by themselves. Abimelech asked, Why have you set these seven apart from the others? Abraham replied, Please accept these seven lambs to show your agreement that I dug this well. Then he named the place Beersheba, which means well of the oath, because that was where they had sworn the oath. After making their covenant at Beersheba, Abimelech left with Phicol, the commander of the army, and they returned home to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba, and there he worshipped the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham lived as a foreigner in the Philistine country for a long time. And I think we're going to stop there today. It's Christmas, and... Until next time, have a great day.